Hey there, I'm Britton, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at www.capecodchurch.com or follow us on social media at Cape Cod Church. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, Home. We are in for a special treat this morning because with us, we have Gordon and Gail McDonald. And I wanted to come out and give a, a brief introduction. First, I wanted to introduce Gail, who's sitting over here with Tammy and Britt. Would you welcome Gail uh, this weekend? Yeah. So this month, Gordon and Gail are celebrating their 60th anniversary. What? Man, how impressive is that? You just have to live a long time to celebrate 60 anniversaries. Um, and we're so grateful that we get to spend it with, uh, with them. So for those who might not be familiar, uh, many years ago, Gordon wrote the now famous book, Ordering Your Private World. It has won award after award. It's sold over a million copies. And it has been part of the spiritual formation for a generation of believers, myself included. In fact, I mentioned this in the last service, I think there's a generation of us who now journal our prayers because of the influence that that book had on our spiritual lives. And over the last five, six, or seven years, uh, Gordon and Gail have become something of friends and mentors in our lives. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for that, to uh, be able to lean into the wisdom and the experience uh, that they have together. And this weekend, for the first time in a year and a half, Gordon is preaching in a church service. And I'm just so grateful we get to have him here to do it. I know it's road race weekend. I know there's 100,000 sweaty people downtown Falmouth, but y'all made the right choice because Gordon, I got to hear it in the first service. This is such a blessing, so get ready. And would you help me welcome to Cape Cod Church, Gordon McDonald. Thank you for all that kindness. Appreciate that very much. And for Gail and me, it's a privilege to be here this weekend. Uh, getting feedback. Uh, <laughs> but we've had a wonderful time with your pastor and his wife, and uh, it's meant a lot to renew our friendship, which we uh, love to do. And it's good to see all of you this morning. Sixty years ago, uh, I not only had the privilege of marrying Gail, but I was preaching my first sermons uh, as a kid in college that would go any place, do anything, to speak to any number of people. Uh, it was wonderful to get a congregation of 12 together if they'd be willing to listen to you. But I told the first crowd that one of those early moments when um, I was learning to be a preacher, I went to a seminary. Uh, out in Colorado, which encouraged its young men and women preachers to preach without notes, which is a horrifying thing if your memory is undependable. 
But there came the day when you got to preach a sermon in a church without notes, and that was your moment of passing the test, a very important moment. So I was assigned to go to a church out in the countryside and I'll preach, and I got up, and uh, I was preaching from the third chapter of the book of Revelation. And the little phrase that they assigned to me were the words of Jesus, Behold, I come quickly. So I got up and I took my stance and I tried to assume the most stained glass, serious, solemn voice that you can do. And I said to the congregation, Behold, I come quickly. But then a problem arose because I couldn't remember the second line of this sermon without notes, which is a horrible moment if you're a speaker of that type. And I wasn't going to quit, so I decided, well, I'll start it again, and maybe the second time it'll come loose in my mind what the second line of this sermon is supposed to be. So I said to the people, and you learn this in seminaries, I did a right-hand karate chop, which emphasizes what you're saying. You've seen preachers do this. And I said, behold, I come quickly. But the line wouldn't come through. Now, you've worked for this moment for almost three years. You don't quit that easily. So I decided I'd give it one more shot. And I went about 10 feet back like this, crouched low, took a running jump up toward the desk. And with two karate chops, I said, behold, I come quickly. The problem was that the desk was made of weak wood, and the karate chops splintered the wood, and the pulpit dissolved, fell out to the main floor, and I tumbled right after it. Uh, there were several older people in the front row, about my age now, and I landed in their laps. I, I struggled to my feet, and I said to them, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And one of them said, that's all right, Sonny. You warned us you were coming three times. <laughs> I'm not in the habit of starting sermons with jokes. Uh, but uh, as you understood when Pastor Ben said a few moments ago, it's been a long time since I've stood in a pulpit because of this pandemic thing, so I needed to test the sound of my voice, and you were very kind. Thank you. I was watching a play on television a few weeks ago, and I took note that at the end of the play, there was a crawl on the screen vertically that was naming all the credits of the people who participated in the making of this stage play on television, the producers, the directors, so on and so forth, and then the actors. I noticed for one of the first times, I'd never really thought about this before, the significance of the chain of names of the actors. The first people in line were the stars of the show, the people who were best known, who carried the weight of the program, of the play, and uh, were the famous actors who made the most money. They were the stars. Then behind the stars came a list of people that you and I might call the supporting actors. Now, the supporting actors are supposed to give and take with the stars to create the drama or the energy of whatever the story is in the play. So the stars use the supporting actors to uh, get their job done. 
There's a third group, if you're interested in this little lecture on the theater, and that would be a third group of people that sometimes are called bit players. Uh, they, they are walk-ons. They often sit around the back on, for example, if it's a restaurant, they're seated at the tables and they're talking to each other. And you wonder, what in the world do these people talk about when they're bit players on the back of the screen? Maybe you've never been bothered by that. That's the kind of thing that disturbs me. But I got to thinking about these stars and the supporting actors. And somehow, the, the pushover or the jump, the bridge over to what I have done with my life and many of you have done with yours became clearer and clearer to me. In this business of the Christian ministry, which we all do when we join an organization like a church, we're like, we're like uh, supporting actors. I doubt if any of us would ever dare to think of ourselves as stars, but we're supporting actors in that we contribute in one way or the other to whatever the drama is that's going on in the church at that particular moment. I got to thinking about this, and I went, thought about the Bible. The Bible has its own stars. Go to the New Testament, for example. There's uh, Peter and James and John and Mary and uh, two or three others. And the bulk of material in the Gospels and in the Epistles center around these people. And they're very important to the story of the New Testament. You need them. They, they do the things. They travel around. They write the letters of the books and the things that most of us would never have an opportunity to do. The supporting actors are the people who stay at home. They don't travel. They don't go places, and they just contribute into their community whatever it is that they're required or they're urged to do. I hope I'm making sense when I say this, because I built some thoughts on it as I anticipated being at Cape Cod Church this weekend. The whole notion of coming out of the pandemic. The fact of the matter is that churches and organizations are probably in these coming months, next several years, we're going to go through enormous changes, like business is changing, athletics have changed, uh, art has changed, education has changed. So the church is going to have to look at doing things that the scriptures give to us and do them in fresh ways that gain the attention of the younger generations and the people who are at the center of this thing. So it's important for us to ask the question, if I'm a supporting actor to whatever God is doing in this world, what are some of the important themes that I need to think about and to activate? And that's where I put my thoughts together this morning. And I came up with four words. These words are not part of an exhaust, they're, they're part of a larger list, but you've got to stop somewhere. So I stopped at four. Four words which I think are going to become very important to us in the coming months and years as we refigure what is the gospel of Jesus Christ going to look like to new generations, to new organizations that come along? What's it going to look like? And how do we play a part in it? So my four words go something like this. And what I do is I chose four supporting actors in the New Testament who are not very well known. They're, they're simply slotted back in the story of the book of Acts and the epistles. 
and you get one or two sentences that describe what they do, and that's about it. There's nothing more. You don't know the name of their spouse or their children or where they went to this school or that school. You just have one or two sentences as supporting actors of things that they've done to build in that generation the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example. There's a woman by the name of Dorcas who shows up in Acts chapter 9, and the chances are a lot of us have never heard of her. Or if we have, we've skipped past the description of who she is because it's so brief. And yet she's a very important supporting actor. She sets the tone and gives us an example of one of the things that God calls all of us to if we are a part of his movement called the church. Acts chapter 9, Dorcas shows up toward the end of the paragraph. Let me read it to you. In Joppa, there was a disciple by the name of Tabatha, or Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. Apart from her death scene, that's all we know of her. One sentence. She was always doing good and helping the poor. You have to use your imagination to go beyond that. But she must have been active in doing good and helping the poor to such an extent that the writer of the book of Acts singles her out from all other kinds of men and women that he could have singled out. This is the one he gives to you and me, and she lives 2,000 years later in our Bibles. Always doing good and helping the poor. It leaves it wide open for you and me to ask the question, would anyone ever say that about me? Would ever anyone say of John or Mary, she or he is a good person and help the poor. What does that mean? I guess each one of us would uh, want to ask the Lord how it applies to our particular personal situation. Now, just to complete the story a little bit, Dorcas in this story dies rather quickly and suddenly and uh, it was quite a tragedy for the community in that point because they valued her so much. And so Peter is invited to come into this situation, and he's the one who prays. And then we have this mysterious sentence that says, and when he prayed, she awakened from her death, and suddenly she was back to life. She was that kind of a person that God would bless us with that kind of a miracle. These words, all the other widows stood around Peter as he prayed for her. They showed him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So the whole community is grieving at the loss of this woman because she's so supportive, important, as a, as a supportive player. Years ago, Gail and I had the chance to be a pastor of a church in New York City for several Sundays, for several years. There was a woman in that church who came from Harlem. She was um, barely able to keep it going economically. She was very poor. And yet she would come to church every Sunday morning pulling a luggage, not a luggage cart, a bakery cart, and she had made a route of five or six different bakeries during the weekend and collected all of their old bread and pastries. And then she would come to church on Sunday morning and she would prepare a wide open light luncheon 
for all the people of our congregation who wish to stay. We're talking about 100 people, 150 people who would stay around for the whole afternoon eating and enjoying one another because one woman whose name was Barbara McCall kept us all in food week after week after week. What a beautiful piece of generosity, a sensitivity to the needs of people. Many young men and women met each other at those luncheons and started their dating and their family and marriage life. And I always thought, here's a Barbara McCall that no one will ever hear about. But she's a supporting actor, you see. She does something that no one else was quite willing or had the vision to do. And the result was a blessing upon so many people. Dorcas was a woman of great compassion. She understood the struggles, sensitivities of people. And she gives to us in those one or two sentences just enough inspiration for us to ask the question, what will compassion look like in the coming period of time as we come out of this pandemic situation? What will God call upon churches, a whole community to do? What will God require of each of us to show that great power of compassion? That's a word for supporting actors in our time. The second key word that came to me was the word training. Not far after the story of Dorcas comes the story of a married couple whose name is Aquila and Priscilla. We don't know much about them. We don't know if they had children. We just know that they lived in Rome for a while and had to leave there. We know that they came to the city of Ephesus, and they became leaders in their church. But there was one thing that they are profoundly known for, let me read it to you from the scripture. This is Acts chapter 18. There came to the Ephesian church a man by the name of Apollos. He was a learned man with knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of, of Lord, the Lord and spoke with great fervor. And he taught people about Jesus accurately. He began to preach or speak boldly in the synagogue and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It's an interesting phrase. They taught him and explained to him the work of God more accurately. Aquila and Priscilla had this dream of training younger people. They saw their home as a place to invite people in hospitably. And there they would open the scriptures and teach them into Christian maturity. Many of us in this room probably can look back over the many years, particularly when we were younger, and remember that one or two people, that older man, that older woman, or that older couple who invested in us. They were there for us in the moments when we needed it the most. I am a product of any number of Aquila and Priscilla's who made their way into my life at appropriate moments to teach me and to, to make sure that I was growing at the rate that God wanted me into adulthood. It's always good to ask yourself as you go backwards, who were the men and women who stand out in the shaping of my life and how did God use them to make a difference in my life? I could 
take you for the next hour naming those kind of people that I knew as a younger man. Let me tell you about one for just a few seconds. His name was Wynn Cassens. He was a rancher. His home was literally on the state line between Kansas and Colorado. And in my seminary days, I was asked by a little church not far from where he lived to be its pastor. Now, our record attendance at our church was 50 people. And uh, that's not very large. And Gail and I would drive every weekend for 175 miles east from Denver to that community where I would preach on Sunday, and then we would return to Denver on Monday for more schooling. We love those people. But from the man Wynn Casson, he was a man who believed, like Aquila and Priscilla, that younger people ought to learn. So when we came for the first times, he came to me and he said, if you're going to be a pastor of the ranchers and farmers in this country, and we, we were at a place seven miles from the nearest paved road and 25 miles from the nearest town, so you're talking about rural America. And so he comes one day and he says to me, Gordon, if you're going to be an effective pastor to the people of our area in ranching, you're going to have to learn how to ride a horse. A horse. And so he taught me how to saddle a horse and ride it because he said a pastoral call out here means you spend a day on horseback herding cattle with the owner of the cattle. So I can't tell you how many times I got to herd cattle just like they used to do in the old westerns, 10-gallon hat, cowboy boots, a nice beautiful horse, and all day long we were pushing cattle from one place to the other. If you're going to be a pastor of those kind of people, you've got to learn to ride a horse. One day, Wynn Cassens came to me and he said, uh, I've been noticing that political sticker on the back of your car, your Volkswagen. Um, do you think that that's something that ought to be there? Did you come here to promote that candidate to this community? Or did you come to represent Jesus Christ? Because you may not be able to do both. It had never occurred to me as a young man that a choice like that might be necessary. But that's the kind of thing uh, Priscilla and Aquila would say to an Apollos. And that was the kind of thing that my friend Wynn Casson said to me. Well, one more example. He came to me one day and he said, I know that you're going to be having a baptism next week. I said, yes. Have you ever baptized anybody before? No. So you've never baptized anybody, but you want to baptize next week. Don't you think you should get some practice? I said, who would I practice on? He said, well, you could practice on me. I'll meet you at the church tonight, and we'll make sure the tank is full, and you baptize me as many times as you think you need to, so that next week you can, you can do it with experience. So we got together that night. Now, here's the catcher. It was cold out in that countryside. The water in the baptistry that night was about 32.5 degrees. So when you baptize, you better do it quickly. But this man, Wynn Casson, and I've never forgotten this, I must have baptized him that night about 35 times. We wanted to get it right. He didn't want me dropping anybody or drowning anybody, so we did it over and over and over again. That's an Aquila and a Priscilla, a man or a woman who will enter with you into whatever it is that are the challenges of your life and give you the experience and the teaching that you need. 
And that's what Aquila and Priscilla did. I can imagine they heard Apollos, this young man, speaking one Sunday morning. And one of them jabs the other in the ribs and says, you know, he's going to go somewhere someday. He's got a lot of talent. God's hand is upon him. But there's a lot of things he has yet to learn. Why don't we invite him home for lunch today and see how far we can get? And they invite Apollos to their home, and he sits at their table, and they eat together. And the hours go by, and Apollos asks questions, and Priscilla, and then Aquila answers the questions as best as they can. What's going on here? What's going on here is that some young man or some young woman is being elevated to be more effective in the work of God's kingdom. The church of the future will not only be a compassionate church, but it will be a training church. You heard from the pulpit this morning some of the dreams in this congregation for small children, for teenagers. You've got to take that very seriously. They are tomorrow's leaders. When a lot of us in this room have gone to heaven or to Florida, they will be the people they will be the people who will be here carrying on what has been started over the years so powerfully. If a church doesn't have compassion for the needs of the world and it doesn't have a, a call to train tomorrow's would-be leaders, it won't have a long history. Let me give you a third word. It's the word friend. Friend. Where do you make your friends? In my neighborhood up in Concord, New Hampshire, my neighbors make their friends at the country club. They make their friends by shooting golf balls in the practice range and then playing 18 every other afternoon. That's the place where they make their friends. It's not a bad place. I'm not a golfer and I don't belong to the country club, but I see these people having an awfully good time. That's where their friends are made. But if you really want to connect with God, if you really want the love of Christ to become known, become known in the community, then you better make your friends, your key friends, in a place like this, where men and women like you, older and younger, love the Lord like you do. The beauties of a friendship of Christians with each other, especially in this time where there is so much sadness and divisiveness, with anger flowing like a river through so many places. There needs to be a place where we get a relief from that kind of thing. And we step forward and we greet one another and become solid, deep Christian friends to each other. When I was in my university days, <clears throat> there came a time where I needed housing if I was going to continue my studies. And a very godly single man, about 15 years older than me, he lived the single life, invited me to rent an apartment. It was a sublet in his apartment. And, and one of the things he said to me, Gordon, he said, I want you to know I'm not simply in the apartment rental business. When, when young men come to live in this apartment, I make a commitment to them that I will help them grow in their Christian life. What a beautiful thing. And did I ever grow? Because he believed in the practicalities of the Christian life. I can still hear him. Gordon, Christian young men always put the toilet seat down. 
Gordon, mature Christian young men put their dishes in the sink and wash them when they get through eating. Gordon, Christian young men do their laundry on a regular basis so they don't smell so bad. A large part of any kind of man I became was learned in that apartment. Then one evening, he came, and we sat down to drink coffee late in the evening, and he said, Gordon, I've met a woman who could make you a marvelous wife. Really? Tell me about her. And he began to describe this woman he'd met at some function. Talked about her grace and the brilliance of her mind, and oh, on and on and other things. I began to conjure up pictures of a woman who was a combination of Mother Teresa and Betty Crocker and Elizabeth Taylor. <clears throat> and after he had described her for some while, I said to him, I've got to meet this woman. Would you introduce her to me? Yeah, he said, let's call her and see if she'd have breakfast with us tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I said, Keith, it's 10 o'clock at night. You don't invite a woman for a breakfast date at 8 o'clock the next morning. He said, watch. He made a phone call, came back into the room, and he said, we have a date to have breakfast with her at 8 o'clock at her college apartment tomorrow morning. The next morning at 8 o'clock, we showed up. Gail and I met each other. We spent 30 minutes sitting at the piano, singing and playing music. We made a date for the next night. Four weeks later, we were engaged. Four months later, we were married, and that's 60 years ago. Yeah. Now, I, I, I tell you that story, and, and there's an important point to make out of it. Why would Gail and I make decisions so fast in such a way? Because we had a friend. We had a mutual friend who knew us both. We trusted his judgment. We trusted his sensitivity. And when he said, Gordon, I've met a woman who would make you a wonderful wife, I didn't have to spend the next two years flirting and dating and doing all kinds of silly things because my friend knew me well enough to say, this is a person who quite likely would fit the direction in life that you're going. That's what friends are for. They help us to see God's purposes for our lives. They warn us and they correct us when we're going in the wrong direction. Friends often speak the words of God to us. Friends are people who will help us to shape our lives. I am got the fingerprints of my friends all over me over the years. And to try to live a Christian life without friends is nigh to an impossibility. So a church in the future like this one, will want to give its mind toward how it expresses its compassion, how it trains its younger leaders for the future, how it provides opportunities for men and women of all ages to become friends. When you have those three going for you, Jesus is probably going to stimulate that church into greater growth and effectiveness than anybody could imagine. Let me give you one more word. It's the word redeemed. 
It's the word which describes what a church does when it comes out into the world and engages with broken people, people whose lives have sometimes fallen apart, people with lives that don't have a sense of deep direction, people who've made tragic mistakes and are suffering the the consequences of it. Who redeems these people? Well, there's always AA and a hundred other organizations, but nobody can quite do it the way a church alive with the presence of Jesus can do it. Listen to John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our own brothers. You know a church is alive when it believes in redeeming people and bringing them close to Jesus where they can make a decision to commit their walk for the rest of their lives with what he has for them. Redeeming. It's the most important thing we can do. And so it's my privilege this morning to present you with four descriptions of supporting actors. People who operate with compassion toward a world that is suffering. People who believe in training young people and developing them toward maturity. People who know how to bring other people together and form solid friendships which exalt the love of the Lord Jesus. People who look into a world and they look into the eyes of broken people and they pull them close and they redeem them. The story that so impresses me is the story in the little tiny New Testament book of Philemon. It's the story of a man who'd left Philemon's business world or his home and he was a slave and he'd run away and he'd gone to Rome and tried to get lost. And there, somehow, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul. And his life was changed. He went from being somebody captured by the pagan world through Paul to understand what it meant to walk with Christ. And there comes a day when Paul writes to Philemon, his old slave master, and he says these words, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was, and now Paul plays with words in the Greek language, formerly he was useless. Onesimus, with a slight pronunciation, can mean useless. But now he is useful. See the change? He can be useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back, Philemon, he who is my very heart. I'm sending him back, and perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while is that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a brother. Listen to the words there of a redeemed person. Onesimus has become my son, my son. Onesimus has become a person who's useful, Onesimus is now a man who's deep into Paul's heart, and Paul looks upon him like a father. Onesimus has become a brother. That's one of the most profound messages we can give to this society that we're living in these days. We are not slaves. We are sisters, and we are brothers. 
and the mark that Jesus is upon us is in the way we love each other. One final little tale from my own life experience. I had the privilege of being a pastor of a wonderful congregation that was growing very fast over, its, over the years. As you very well know, you get into a church like this one or the one that I'm describing, and if people start coming, if the word of God is honored, people begin to become redeemed. The church begins to grow. With the growth of the church come more buildings and more staff and more programs and more adjustments to the budget. And it can scare a lot of people. It scared me more than once. One night we were having a business meeting at our church. We had to vote on some very expensive initiative uh, that was very, very thrilling, but it did scare a lot of people, including this guy right here. I sat off to one side with my wife, Gail, and we listened to the congregation as they debated the ups and downs, the goodness and the not so good things of this big initiative. And, and as things were going, my own sensitivity was, this meeting is not going well. And I said to Gail two or three times, we're going to lose this one. The people are going to say no. This may be where this growth, the church of this, the growth of this church begins to cease and slow down. We may lose everything beginning this evening. When the meeting reached maybe its lowest point, suddenly a man off on this side stood up and he started toward the stage. Now this man was an elder in our church. He was probably 75 years of age. He was not particularly attractive. He didn't have a high-paying job. He and his wife and one older child who was handicapped in some way, lived in a very modest center. So he was not the kind of person you respected because he was wealthy and powerful and out of Harvard Business School and that stuff. He was just a supporting actor. He was a man who loved Jesus and who loved his church and loved the people in that church. So why couldn't he be allowed to get up and come up to the stage and stand at the microphone? And that night he comes and he reaches the point folds his arms like this, puts his chin down to his chest, and stands there for three or four minutes in silence. And every one of us sitting out where you're sitting began to grow very anxious. What's the old man doing? Isn't he going to say something? What's happening here? Finally, he lifted his chin off his chest, and he looked over the top of his grainy glasses, and he went like this, and he said, hmm, you people really disappoint me. You really disappoint me. Why, we have been here over the years, and we have watched God bless one initiative after another. We've gone to our knees more than once. We've piled on money that we didn't have. We've done everything we could, and God has always blessed our faith. And now listen to you. It's as if nothing ever happened here before. Why would you do this? I'm so disappointed. And he walked off the stage back to his seat, and the moderator came back to the microphone and said, all those in favor say aye. And everybody in the congregation went aye. And this man, immediately, as he took his seat, had become responsible for a whole congregation hearing God's ways in a different 
different particular direction. That's what you call a supporting actor. A woman or a man who knows what their gifts and their calls are, who know how to inspire other people. My friend Roland would have had a good time talking to Dorcas. He would have had a good time talking to Aquila and Priscilla. He would have had a good time talking to Onesimus, who could tell you the story of redemption. And I believe that God is giving this church wonderful times headed toward the future. As we come out of this bad moment in our society, there's a desperate need for congregations who can show all the graces of Christ, who can show themselves in the community as supporting actors. That's your call, and that's mine. Thank you very much. May God be with you. Hey, thanks for tuning into this message from our current series, Home. If you enjoyed today's message, join us again next week or join our live stream on Sunday at both 9 and 11 a.m. EST. We are so excited to meet you and get to know you. By just filling out the Connect card down in the caption, we will have the opportunity to reach out and introduce you to our church. Lastly, share this message with a friend. And if you want to support us, leave us a like or subscribe so you never miss out on a message. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.